11 o'clock, what's up? Are you awake? Um, my name is Derek, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm so excited about tonight because tonight our community group is meeting in our place, and we're having breakfast for dinner. Anybody like breakfast for dinner? A couple of you? Okay. I mean, bacon at 7 o'clock at night is just, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. All right, we have much to do. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. There's a page number on the screen if you picked up a Bible at the door. And uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15. 15 is really the verse that we want to get to. It's a really deep cut in the chapter, but uh, we need to get there first. And so we'll look at a few things at the beginning um, of the chapter, starting with verse 1. So Ephesians 4, Paul, the writer, says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you. The word there's the word we looked at last week, parakaleo, encourage. Push. So Paul's pushing. Urge sounds nice, but he's pushing. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now don't skip over that. It's very big. Turn back to chapter 2. Part of that calling, part of that life that Paul is encouraging them and urging them to live, part of that, not all of it, but part of it is seen uh, here in chapter 2, starting with verse 8, Paul makes a statement about our relationship with Jesus. He says, for it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, he inserts. Like, you didn't do this. God came here, kind of thing. It is, a, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's kind of this, Paul is reminding them here, saying, look, don't, don't ever get to the place where you can say to people, look what I have done so that God will love me and extend his grace to me. So he's like, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's what God has done. However, in verse 10, he talks about what we do actually do. He says in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. And if you've been around this tribe any length of time, you've heard this verse before. You've heard this word, workmanship. The English version lets you down. The Greek, the original, the thing that came off the page originally is the word poeme, which means poetry art. For we are God's art. It's poetry. It's poem. You are a poem. And what's the point of art, really? It's to communicate. It's a voice of the artist. When you see a painting, when you hear a song, when you read a poem, when you read a book, when you watch a play, when you see a movie, it's a reflection of the creator of those things. So when you pick up, as you do, Emily Dickinson, and you read the dark, dreary, depressing stuff. It's something about the artist. This thing that I'm reading, this thing that I'm watching, this thing that I'm seeing, it's telling me it's a voice of the Creator. And so Paul says, look, you are that for God. You're part of His art. You are His art. You're a walking, talking, breathing, living piece of art created in Christ Jesus to do good what? Works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, simply meaning this is what you've been created to do, to do good things. Why? Because that's what God does. That's who God is. That's what he is like. And if you're a piece of that, part of being made in the image of God is simply being a piece of who he is. And so here's Paul saying that you are God's 
artistic expression, you're his voice, you're his artistic expression and voice in the world, you're his workmanship. And so Paul, back in chapter 4, Paul was saying, look, I'm urging you to remember that you're to live that kind of life. That you're to wake up every day, and this is hard for us to do, you're to wake up every day and remind yourself that I'm the walking, talking, breathing poetry of God. So when I speak, when I act, when I relate, when I run the business, when I run the meeting, when I talk to my neighbors, it's with this understanding that God has created me to be his voice, an expression of who he is. So Paul says, live a life worthy of that calling. Another way of saying it is, uh, and Paul says this a lot in various ways, but his underlying message in every letter is to push the first Christians and us all the way down the line here in 2010 to live the way of Jesus. That's it. Make sure that you, I mean, every letter that Paul writes, there are little surface issues that he deals with, and some of those surface issues are quite relevant for us, but underneath those, the message is always the same. Live the way of Jesus. So live a life worthy of that, right? Verse 2. So verse 1 is the big picture piece. Don't forget to live that life that God has called us to live. But verse 2 lets us in on the fact that Paul understands that's not easy to do. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. A statement to say what we all understand is that there's a frailty among us. That we're not always going to be in line with what God wants. And so Paul reminds them and us, if you're paying attention in that way, be patient about that. Go slow. Just understand that it's not always going to be perfect. And then I like this part. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, and you'll catch a theme here, and I'll emphasize so you catch it. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith. Can I hear the next word altogether? One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The name Christian first was giving, given to the disciples late in the game. I mean, late in the book of Acts in the city of Antioch, the fourth largest city in the world at that time. And it was given to the church as a nickname because simply uh, the city of Antioch looked at what was happening in their church gatherings and saying, how in the world are Jews and Greeks and on down the line, how are all these women and men and slaves and masters and business owners and rich and poor, how are all these people getting together in a faith and a religious setting? That never happens, never. And so the city says, it's because of Jesus. Jesus is the thing and the person and the idea that's bringing them together, and so we will give them the name Christians. Those, that's the only way that could happen. The Christ has brought them together. And that's the idea Paul is saying here. I just lost my page. Paul is saying, look, it's through this one thing that all of us are together. Back to verse 2. Be patient because, again, there's a mix in here. People are at different stages in their faith walks and journeys. And so you just have to be patient with that. And you have to bear with each other. And sometimes we go two steps forward in our uh, pursuit to live the way of Jesus. And then we fall back. And so Paul's saying, look, be patient. And at the end of the day, it's just one thing that we're all staring at. We're all in one room looking at one thing. And it's Jesus. And then in verse 7, but each one of us, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, and he quotes a psalm closely, revamps it a little bit to make his point. He says, when he ascended on high, he led captives 
in his train and gave gifts to men. And so he uses that as a lead-in. If you skip down to verse 11, he says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And you can just insert whatever else, some to be really funny, some to be really encouraging, some to be very uh, you know, smart, right, ingenious, some to be thinkers, administrators, etc. The list is not e- exclusive and finalized. It's just he's saying God has put people in and around our lives, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So back to chapter 2, verse 10, that you're God's workmanship created to do these things And when it comes to living, back in verse 1 of chapter 4, I know I'm everywhere, hang on. When Paul says, live that life, live live the life worthy of the calling you have received, it's not as though he says that and just leaves you alone. It's like God has put people in your life to push you to do that, right? Because we don't often do that on our own. And so Paul reminds us that there are people in and around our lives that are there simply to prepare us this kind of life, to help us, to push us, to keep us on track. Verse 13, until we reach all unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, so we've grown, so we've gotten taller, developed, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the goal, again, is very simple to understand, to grow up into the way of Jesus. Verse 14, then we will no longer be, what's the word? Infants tossed back and forth by the waves. It's sort of a scary thought, isn't it? There's a baby in the water, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, verse 15, and here's the the deep cut that we're trying to get to today. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Verse 14, we will no longer be infants. I read one historian who says what Paul was doing. I mean, we all know that babies have big heads. Do they not? I mean, you look at them and go, they're beautiful. Man, but the head is big. It's not in proportion. And it's humorous. (laughs) So when you go to the hospital and you say, well, that's a baby. That's got a big head. I hope... I hope that the body catches up. Do you get this? It's a beautiful head on the baby. Our prayer is that the body catches up. And this is what Paul is saying. When we hear the truth, and I'll talk about what truth that is, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. And there's no eloquent way to put this, but Paul is saying if we hear the truth about Jesus and we allow it to get in and change and reshape who we are, what happens is that we, we kind of look like we belong to the head. We're not this awkward body attached to some random, you know, the thing you put your head through at the zoo and you get the picture taken and it's like this face with this like really strong body cartoon. It looks awkward. And so Paul is saying if We speak the truth to each other in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. It will look like we belong to him. Does this make sense? So, recap. Live the life worthy of the calling you have received. Easy enough. 
live the way of Jesus. Understand there's a frailty in that because we're people. We don't always do it. We fail. We fall back, right? Do that, right? Then he reminds us that it is Jesus whom we're all looking at and trying to emulate in our lives. And then he says, reiterating, the goal is to not be infants, but to grow. And one of the ways that happens is that we speak words of truth to each other. Not just like, you know that the brave's lost. Not that kind of truth. That's sad truth. But the truth about who Jesus is. When Paul talks about the truth here, it's about the gospel. Who is this Jesus? Continually speaking the truth about Jesus, the story of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the challenge and the call of Jesus on every life. That's the truth that Paul is talking about here. Continually speak that in truth. One version of the Bible says speaking or truthing, right? That we have this lifestyle of just truthing the story of Jesus. But it's not just truth. It's truth in what? Love. Now that's big. And I don't know if you have these people, but some people just are in your, they they are self-proclaimed truth tellers. They feel like it's their life's calling to remind you of where you're not matching up. Do you have these people? They just see themselves as people who just expend truth to you all the time. Truth about who you are, truth about who you're not, truth about where you should be, truth about what you should have done, what you shouldn't have done. These are people that just continually throw truth at you, but it's not in love. It's in this sort of demented kind of, they have this need to be right, for you to be wrong. Not that kind of truthing, but truthing in love. And then we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. So the question is, do you have someone in your life that speaks the truth of Jesus into your life and that you listen to? Do you have this person in your life that speaks the truth of Jesus to you, held underneath the challenge that I'm speaking this to you so that you will grow, so that you will change, so that your heart will change shape and your life will change shape. I'm speaking these words of truth to you and into you with the goal in love that you will continue to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Do you have this person in your life that speaks these words, not what you want to hear, we never grow if we hear what we want to hear, but people that speak into you the very truth of the message of Jesus and the way of Jesus to you so that you grow. Do you have that person? For some of you, it's me. You just come and go, he'll tell me, and then I'll decide, right? Or maybe it's you're in a small group and your leader says things and you listen Or maybe you're actually in relationships with people where this is the goal, where you just sort of circle up on a regular basis, and it's we speak the truth in love so that we can grow and develop. We need people in our lives that speak the truth of Jesus into us so that we can constantly evaluate and constantly make changes and grow. Do you have that person? Most of us, the answer to that question is, what? No. No. Most of us don't. And sometimes we do, but it's random. And the call of God through the writing of Paul and the encouragement to this young 
Greek church. Speak the truth to each other. Not about each other, but to each other. So that we can grow, develop. This sits in our bathroom, probably like yours does, or maybe in the closet. I don't know how you feel about your scale. But every morning I get on this thing. You guys want to know, don't you? It's actually less than last service. That's pretty cool. Uh, But I get on this thing every morning, right? And I know uh, what you're thinking. Like, I I know how, well, we'll get to that in a second. But I get on this thing, and basically what I'm looking at through that little piece of glass is the truth. Now, I don't want to get your emails about, well, you know if you stand on a scale in Denver with the altitude, it's a little different or whatever. I don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying. Wherever you stand on this thing, what comes through the glass is the truth about where you're at. So, and you, if you're like me, you, like you have your places in the house, like, well, this, I'm less weight if I put it on the carpet, or more if I have it on the concrete, or if I'm, I don't have any clothes on, that helps. I know that's a bad visual, I'm sorry. But uh, some of you, like, you, you go, I only weigh myself in the morning after I've gone to the bathroom and I haven't eaten all night. And um, I don't want to take a shower because that, that makes me wet and it puts more weight on me. So, I, I, or I stand on one foot or whatever it is for you. You know what I'm saying? We all do. But you get on this thing and it tells you the truth about where you're at. That's what it does. That's the point of it. I thought about having some pictures from my high school years up here, but it doesn't really matter. And clearly I was thinner. And I don't know the future. So I don't know what I look like in the future. Uh, but I do know this, right? I can look, it's right there in the glass, just screaming at me. You weigh more than you did in high school, right? Now, the thing about it is, I can assume that I weigh what I think I might weigh. Like, maybe you own a scale, and it's like, I'll do that tomorrow, because I'm eating better, Right? I mean, I've been watching my food, I've been working out and running, but I'll, I'll weigh in a while. Let me give it a while. Right? So I'm assuming that I know. I'm assuming that I know my reality. But when I get on it, all that stuff sort of goes away. And I might be right, but oftentimes I'm not right. And I get on it. Now, when I get on the scale, and this is what I want you to hear today, if I do this willingly, like with the idea that I'm going to work on whatever's in that little window... If I get on this, what I'm doing is I'm inviting truth into my life. Not a truth about yesteryear or the future, but a truth about right now. Does that make sense? So when I get on the scale, it's about now. I'm inviting truth into my life. Turn to John chapter 8, if you would. Jesus is teaching. This is a very short teaching. And in verse 31, he says these words that maybe you've heard before. But Jesus says, uh, in verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, not just hearing, but if you hold to it, you are really my disciples. Now, take Jesus out of the equation. A disciple, in the historical sense, looks like his rabbi. They look the same. They talk the same. They have the same sort of 
beard. They pray the same. This is why Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray like you. Because that's what we do. That's what disciples do. We grow into a likeness of the teacher. And so when Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, if you take it, you use it, then you really are my disciple. So the world looks at disciples and rabbis and says, that group of disciples is clearly connected to that rabbi because they're obeying the teachings. Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free. How many people have heard the doctor's report and have said, well, good or bad, at least I now know. Because before I was just assuming, just sort of walking around and going, well, maybe, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, or maybe it's one of these three or four things. But when you get on the scale, then you know. And so you're freed in one area just from a lot of false assumptions, some false ideas about where you think you might be. And Jesus says the same thing about his truth. If then you will know the truth, again, you have to back up. It's not in and of itself the only thing to hear. If you hold to my teaching, if you take it, hold it, use it, then the world will look around and say, they're, they're his disciples. Then you will know the truth. So knowing has something to do with doing the truth. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free from, and you have the list, all sorts of thinkings about maybe where you thought you were or where you thought you are at that very given moment. Turn to Matthew 7. This is the last thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So it wraps up this long three-chapter run of teachings, and so Jesus closes with some statements about his teaching. And he says in verse 24, Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, you can reword that and say, and holds to my teaching. If, If anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that means that you take a teaching like love your enemies and you throw it into your world and you use it. This is what Jesus is saying. Not just, I think that's a good idea, but you actually take the teaching and you throw it into your world and you use it. Jesus says this about people like you. He, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, right? The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. It's just metaphor for saying when life repeats itself, so you learn this teaching, you put it into practice, and when life comes back around and repeats itself, and pushes up against you, and in this case, the language here is negative. So when all these bad things start happening again, you're like a wise man, because you, you took the teaching, you put it into practice, here comes life repeating itself, yet, he says, it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. He's not saying that your faith is so solid you'll never struggle, he's just saying you know the truth about how to deal with this. You've been there. Right? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not hold to my teaching, right? is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus says, if you stand on the scale and you put that depressing truth about where you are into practice, then you are like a wise person who builds his house on the rock. Turn to James chapter 1. James was the brother of Jesus. And so often when you read the letter of James, you can hear, you hear some Jesus stuff said in the similar ways that Jesus said them. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this, chapter 1, verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So we're back full circle to that thing, living a life that God has called us to live. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Again, when you hear the truth about Jesus, you're inviting it in. James uses gardening language, planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word, and then he adds, and so deceive yourselves. So there's this, if you just hear things, but you don't really do them, what's the point? Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Very simple, four words, do what it says. Why? Well, there's a component here of faith and action. Let the world see that you are who you say you are. Got it. But there's an underlying component here too that if you put these things into practice, if you do them, then you know them. Your faith builds. You change, you grow, you reshape because you're putting them into practice and you're learning them and you're saying this is true. What Jesus said about forgiveness or about love or about giving or about this or that, like I'm putting that into practice and I'm learning it. The truth is unfolding for me. And so not just the faith and action piece, but just put it into practice. Do what it says so that you can grow and change and develop. Jesus, uh, when he was on trial, was asked by Pilate, you may know this question, uh, they were talking about truth, right? And Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? What is that? Like, maybe you thought that was a new question, but it's not. Pilate looks right at Jesus and says, what is, you tell me what truth is, because we've been looking for that for a long time. You seem to know some things. What's truth? And maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe you're not, but Jesus responds by saying absolutely nothing. He just stands there, as if to say, I'm right here, because he said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So there's a component of Jesus's non-response in that I'm, I'm right here. Truth is in a person. But there's also this sense in which Jesus is saying by not saying, if I told you, you wouldn't get it. And at the end of the day, 
You're just going to have to see what it is. Because I'm going to the cross. I will die, but I'm coming back. And then through that, you'll see. I could tell you, but you won't believe it. I could say to you, Jesus said, I, he didn't say, he could have said, I could say to Pilate, I could say to you, oh, it's this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, blah, blah, blah. I said that to Nicodemus in the garden one night. Uh, maybe you can read about it later and, uh, in John 3.16, but you'll be dead and gone. Um, that's the story. That's the backstory. God sent me here. I'm here. I'm the Savior. All the prophets spoke of me, etc. Uh, now I'm in front of you because this is the way it had to be. The prophets said there would be a suffering servant. He would die for the sins of the world, etc. You probably don't believe that yet, but uh, that's, why, that's why we're talking. I know you just sort of got up this morning and doing your thing for Rome, and here we are, and you don't know who I am. I'm just a Jew from outside of the city, and it's just a crazy situation for us, but that's the backstory, and that's who I am, and I'm the son of God. Thank you very much, and you're going to, uh, you're going to push me off because you don't really know what this is all about, so you'll hand me over to my own people. They will, by their own laws, uh, decide that I can be crucified. They'll come back to you, and you'll say, I don't really know. I'm going to wash my hands of this, so you'll take me out front, and you'll say, who should we let go? Because this is customary. You always do this, I know, and so you'll either let me go or this other guy go, and they'll let the other guy go because all these people want to see me dead, and then they're going to walk me through the process. You're going to beat me. You're going to put a crown of thorns on me. You're going to do all this stuff with a robe and whip me. And then I'm going to walk down the street outside the city because that's the way it is. You go outside the city and you get crucified on a cross with the countless number of people who've been crucified through the years by you and your government. And I'm going to die. And then this guy, I'm going to, uh, Joseph's going to give me his tomb. I'm going to borrow his tomb. They're going to put me in the tomb. And then three days later, I'm going to come back. What is truth? If I told you, you wouldn't get it. He could say all that, and Pilate would say, yep, he's crazy, let's go. So sometimes, truth, you just have to see it. And you just have to experience it. Or, you just have to give it a shot. Now, application, since you're waiting... We started with the question, do you have someone in your life that speaks the truth about who Jesus is into your life so that you will change and grow and develop into the person that he has called you to be? Do you have that person? Again, it might be me, it might be your small group leader, it might be somebody, it might be just the things that you're reading, but who is speaking those words of truth into you so that you will reshape and grow into the person that God has called you to be? And when you hear the truth about what God has called us to do and how to live, how do you hear that? See, that's the bigger question. How do you actually hear the truth? How do you receive it? Here's my um, challenge for you. The first part is a question. The second part is a go and do sort of thing. Part, the part that is a question is, what are the truths that you've been hearing lately from the scriptures, and again, maybe I've been saying them, uh, maybe people have been saying them to you, uh, perhaps you're hearing them from many different uh, venues, people, groups, readings. What is the truth or the truths that you've been hearing uh, from God's word about Jesus and the life he's called you to live? What are the truths that you've been hearing lately that you just haven't moved on yet? You're hearing them 
but you're not taking a hold of those things. You're not grabbing them and saying, okay, I'm going to put these into practice, as Jesus said. What are those things for you? They could be as simple as just, dude, stop being angry. Like, that's just what you keep hearing, right? And when you read the, the verses or you hear the teachings and the things about God, God calls us to be people of peace. And you just keep hearing that, but you just keep knowing that that's just not me and that's not for me, that's for somebody else. And the list gets deeper and deeper. I mean, what is it that you keep hearing that is a truth of Jesus that you're just not moving on? So that's part that is the question. The challenge is, here's my challenge. Why don't you just do it? Truth, especially this, is often learned through doing. Just do it. Like forgiveness. Let's take forgiveness. Um, yeah, I get it. I know you should forgive people. Jesus said you forgive. And really, it just sort of transcends all faiths. I mean, it just keeps people together. You should just forgive. It keeps families together, societies together. It's what ends conflict. You should just forgive. You get, I should do that. And Jesus calls me to forgive, right? Do it. Just go and do it. Like, maybe there's a list right now. Oh gosh, yes, it's this person, and I have not done that. There's no amount of logical persuasion that would move any of us to actually go and do that. You just have to do it to get it. Like, you can't just read the scriptures enough and go, now I got it. There's nothing logical about forgiveness. I mean, it feels logical, but there just, it doesn't feel right. There's no like, amount of like, proof that I should go and do that. Like, just let it go. Hopefully they move to Montana. But Jesus is saying, take the teaching, put it into practice, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? Just go and do it. Maybe it's sexual boundaries. And you know the teachings, and you've seen them, and you've heard them, and you're just struggling with them. Why don't you just try it? Why don't you say, you know what, I don't know if it's true, but for the next six months, I'm going the way of Jesus, and we'll see what happens. Put yourself in a lab, right? Tithing. Do it. Just, just try it. You're not going to die. And if you're not satisfied in six months, we'll give you all your money back and I don't know how we do that, but, so that's a lie, but don't give it here. Give it somewhere else. Just give it away, right? Pick a church. You just drive by. We'll just give it to them. I'll just do it for six months. Bless another place for the sake of learning the truth that we are to give. And in six months, then you decide that's true. I didn't believe it at the start, but I get it now. When we did the Sabbath series, I got so many emails, so many fingers in my face, pushed in the corner, don't tell me to rest. I got it. And I said week one in that series, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just try it? Why don't you take a truth of scripture about that and why don't you just go, all right, for the next six weeks, six months, a year, we're going to do it. And we're going to see what happens. Do you, does this make sense? Paul says, speak the truth to each other 
in love so that we grow. The shape of who we are changes so that we begin to look like, not just as individuals, but the church, we begin to look like Jesus. And that only happens when we hear the truth and we get on the scale and we take it and we do it. The series is about words, words that protect, words that build today, words that shape who we are. If you don't have someone in your life that speaks truth to you, someone you trust, someone you look at and say, that's the person I want to be like in my faith. They're years ahead of me, three steps ahead of me. You need that person. And again, it may just be me or whoever's up here for a while, but you need to be in circles where the truth about who Jesus is is being spoken to you in such a way that it's challenging and urging and encouraging you to change your shape so that you begin to look like Jesus. So we have to get on the scale. I mean, community, really, when you get in circles and start talking about this, community is simply everybody's on the scale, hopefully. Now, sometimes community is false, and they, they recalibrate the scale. All right, I'm going to push it back here, and that way I weigh 40 pounds less. But truth is what God wants to get into us so that we can change and develop into who he's called us to be. That's my encouragement for you. Um, let's pray together. Let's stand.